morning, church. Um, happy Mother's Day to the moms. You're welcome. <laughs> um, have you ever considered, I'm sure you have, that Mother's Day can be a day of mixed emotions? Um, there, we've got a dynamic where each of us has a mother, and so as we reflect on our moms, we, and whether we have a good relationship or have had a bad relationship, like we think about our moms, and then for those of us who are moms, like we think about our children, and, and, and then we start to think about how good of a mom have we been, and do I even deserve any kind of trophies or anything like that? And we get all mixed up in our head, because there's joyous things that we think about when we think about mom. Like we ask the kids, what is their favorite thing about their mom? And it might be that you've got a car and you get them to where they need to go. And it might be that you let them play video games. Um, I, I kind of want to ask, like, what are your favorite things about your mom? She does everything. She doesn't ever stop. Can't keep sharing down. Anybody else? She what? Since you're a cardinal? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Anybody else? Favorite thing about your mom? Listen, the next question is what's your not favorite thing? So either you answer me the good thing or I make you put you on the spot. Mm. She always knows if there's something wrong. She's got eyes in the back of her head. So there are good things that we appreciate about our mom. There are lessons that we have learned from her and that we're, we have a, a, a gratitude. When we think about it, when we pause like we do on a day like today, we have gratitude to our moms. But then we also know that our relationship with our mom can be complicated. And there are some things that we get frustrated by. There are things that we inherited that we would have opted not to if we'd given the choice, right? And so as we think about Mother's Day and as we think about how Mother's Day can be a day of mixed emotions, I just want to consider too that mothering, being a mom, is a vocation of mixed emotions. Because you're, <laughs> here's some amens. <clears throat> mothering is, is, is it's, it shapes the way that you see the world. It shapes the way that you interact with other humans. It shapes the way that you interact with, with other children, whether they're your kids or not. Like, there's something that, that changes in a woman when she becomes a mother, and, and, and it's a vocation that's complicated. And so on days like today, when we celebrate Mother's Day, it can be easy to look at one side or the other and, and just look at like, oh, my mom is so great, and I'm so grateful for her, and to just celebrate that and sideline or disregard the, the, the pain that might be involved in that. And there would be times where like, man, I miss my mom so much, or man, my mom really screwed me up. And to just be so focused on the pain in that relationship that we turn a blind eye to the things that we might be grateful for. And so this morning, I want to do something that's a little bit out of um, our habit, the way that we typically walk through a text. Um, normally, we'll take a passage and we'll go through it and comb through it verse by verse. And, and we're going to do that a little bit today, but we're actually going to be walking through the Gospels. And we're going to be taking a look at how Jesus interacted with some of the women in his life. 
And so we're actually going to take one scene from each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to do it in that order so we're not flipping back and forth. We can just keep flipping to the right the way that we like to read, okay? So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to walk through and see how Jesus interacted with the women in his life and how we might be able to apply that as we think about how to celebrate Mother's Day. So would you pray with me? Lord, there are times where we come together and we think about things that we want to celebrate, and God, we're just reminded immediately that the world is not as it should be. There are times where we turn to celebrate and, and we're faced with sin, and we have to deal with it. But Lord, as we take a step back, as we seek to celebrate the role of mothers in our lives and the ministry that you have done to us through these women, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see the beauty of what it is that you've designed even in a fallen world. Lord, would you be patient with us as you teach us? And would you find willing students this morning that we might learn your wisdom and apply it? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 8. And what I'm going to start doing, I've noticed that some of you guys are switching to prefer those blue Bibles. And so I think eventually we're just going to switch over to using the blue Bibles instead of the story Bibles. So if you're using a blue Bible, it's on page 1015, 1015. is Matthew chapter 8. Now Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are what we call them, the name, the title that we give them is the four Gospels because they tell the story of Jesus. Essentially, another way that you can think about this is that they contain the biographies of Jesus written from four different perspectives. So we're going to start in Matthew, in Matthew's writing, in chapter 8. And I'm going to have to turn there myself. I'll stop talking and turn to the passage. I just want you to know that these are biographies about Jesus' life. So Matthew chapter 8, looks like we're there. We're going to be in verse 14, and this is just a short passage. And, and Jesus is going around, and he's traveling, and he's healing different people. And in verse 14, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. That's Peter's mother-in-law. And Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So this first scene here, we have Jesus who's kind of doing a tour. He's just getting started. People are just starting to know who he is, and he's gathered some disciples. He's gathered some followers who are walking with him, traveling with him, and learning from him. And they come to Peter's house. And Peter walks in, and mom is asleep on the couch, bundled up. She's got a fever. She's not feeling well. And now here's, I, I don't know, this is just a fever. There's no medical information here about what the diagnosis was. But here's what I know. Mom was sick and laying down. It was 10 times a fever that any man could handle. And Jesus walks into that house and sees Peter's mom, like she's laying down and she's sick. And he goes over and he grabs her hand and lifts her up 
and she gets up and the fever comes off of her and she just gets up and immediately starts serving. She starts taking care of the boys because Peter has brought his teacher home and that's kind of a big deal. And so she's serving and as she's serving, like, you know, she's got these guys that are crashing her house and they keep leaving the fridge open and they're eating all their food and she's frustrated. And then more people show up, they knock on the door and there's a whole crowd of people that show up at Peter's mother-in-law's house and they want to talk to Jesus. And she's like, I'm just trying to get the boy fed. And Jesus turns and he heals them. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. I don't, I've not interacted with too many people who were oppressed by demons, but those guys make a mess, and they're not pleasant company. But these are the people that Jesus is bringing into her house. He cast out the spirits with a, world, a word, and he healed all who were sick. She's just laying on the couch with a fever, and Jesus shows up, and things get even crazier. But where is she? She's serving. And there's times where I feel like there's an innate like desire in moms to do that. Like, I don't understand it. I look at Jesse sometimes and go, why? Just go sit down. Like, take a day off. I don't understand. And yet this is kind of hardwired into it. <clears throat> and look at verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. See, Jesus is the main character here. Jesus is what this text is about. But do you see that her service made it possible or set the stage for him to be fulfilling ideas that are bigger than her world? Her service set the stage for him to heal diseases and, and cast out demons. And that's what he came to do according to the scriptures. Her service set the table for Jesus to fulfill scriptures. And so what if our service to Jesus, possibly, possibly, men and women, listen to me. What if our service to Jesus possibly made space for him to serve other people? What if as we come to Jesus and as we worship him, as we're serving him, that service and creating that space for him to work actually opens up the doors for other people to be ministered to? What if your faith and your relationship with God isn't just about the blessings that you get from God? but the blessing that God gives to others through your service. Peter's mother-in-law. Let's look at a different scene in Mark chapter 5. If you're using a blue Bible, it's on page 1049. Mark chapter 5. beginning in verse 25. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back up to verse 21. I'll include all of that. So verse 21, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well, be made well and live. And he went with him. 
So here's, let me just set the scene here for you. Um, Jesus actually ends up setting up camp with Peter's mother-in-law. And, and he would go and stay with her in a city called Capernaum, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. And he would go off and he would minister and go on a little trip and he'd come back to Capernaum. And he'd go out and he'd serve again and do another trip and come back to Capernaum. So here is a time where he's coming back to Peter's mother-in-law's house. Arrives on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, arrives at to his mother-in-law's house, and this guy comes up. His name is Jairus and he seems to be a really important guy. And he says, look, my daughter's about to die. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her. And Jesus says, all right, I'll come with you. Now let's read what happens next. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, uh, you see the crowd pressing about you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So here's a woman who's in the crowd as Jesus is arriving on the shore and people are crowded in around him and he is on a mission to go heal somebody else. He is not there for her. He's not paying attention to her. He's obviously on his way to go pay attention to somebody else's more important thing. This is a guy who's a ruler in the synagogue, and his daughter's sick, and it's a real important thing. But this is a woman who had suffered for many, many years, and she'd gone to doctors, and doctors had tried to heal her, and doctors did their best, but they made it worse. And so she'd spent all of her life savings, and she wasn't any better. And she, all she knew about Jesus was there's a possibility that he could heal her. And she, she clawed her way through the crowd. And she reached out through it and grabbed a hold of his, his garment. Her faith compelled her to touch him. And there's a whole mass of, it's like a mosh pit. Like everybody's gathered around Jesus. And, and he turns around and says, hey, who touched me? Uh, Jesus, you see what we're, what we're doing here, like everybody touched you. Like, what do you, what do you mean who touched you? Like, this is a huge crowd. Jesus, we're trying to get, get through. He says, no, 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 somebody touched me. I, I felt it. Somebody has been healed because of their faith today. Who was it? And can you imagine being that woman so desperate for healing and coming to Jesus and reaching out and grabbing a hold of it, just being tortured by all of the medical things that she had been through and reaching out and grabbing and feeling, I'm healed. And in that moment, the spotlight of that crowd of people who had ignored her for years, everybody's looking for her all of a sudden. We like to think that we just suffer internally and that we just have to bear our own things and that nobody really needs to know what's going on with us. But in this moment that she's healed, everybody's attention is on her. Jesus' attention is on her. So she tells him the whole story. 
He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What if we trusted that Jesus is our only hope? I could say, what if we believe that Jesus is our only hope? And many of us would say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is my only hope. Like, I understand those words. That makes sense. It lines up with what I know about the Bible. It lines up with what I know about Jesus. But what if we not just believed it? What if we trusted in it? What if he was our only hope and we would fight through any crowd to get to him? Would our faith make us well? What if we trusted that Jesus is our only hope? Let's turn to Luke chapter 7. In the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1077. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. <clears throat> Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd with, went with him. As he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, the platform that they carried the body on. He touched the bier and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. We have here a widow in her grief. Jesus is just going along, and as he's going along, he sees a funeral procession. He sees a woman who's lost her son which in and of itself is a great sorrow to have to bury your own children. And it wasn't enough that she had to bury her own child. She had already buried her husband. She was a widow. Grief upon grief. And we think about the sorrow that we would feel. We feel, think about the loss that we would feel if we had buried those loved ones. But for this woman in particular, this is financial ruin. She can't pay the bills anymore. We, we studied last summer, we studied uh, Ruth and Naomi. Like, if she doesn't have somebody to cultivate the farm, like, it, it doesn't matter. She doesn't have any money, she doesn't have any food. She's going to be begging for the rest of her life. And so in the moment that she lost this son, she lost all of her financial security. And the whole town is going with her to mourn and to grieve. And I don't know what that parade sounded like. But I know that as Jesus saw it, he looked on her and had compassion. Do not weep. Young man, I say to you, arise. 
And he gave him to his mother. What if we didn't hide our grief from Jesus? There's times where we feel like I just have to hold everything together. I have to keep it all inside. I just have to, I just have to sort with it on my own time. And I'm going to church and so I don't, I just need to put on a good game face and I just got to get through the day. But what if we didn't hide our grief from Jesus? What if we were honest with him about what we were facing? What if when we experienced loss, we acted as though we experienced loss and not as if everything is fine? I think the biggest lie, the biggest and most hurtful lie that I hear day in and day out is I'm fine. We say it and we don't think about it. how are things going? I'm fine. It's a lie. And we think that we're fooling people. And if you come up to Jesus, Jesus says, What's going on? How are you? I'm fine, Jesus. You're fine. All right, deal with it. But what if we were honest and didn't hide our grief from Jesus? What if we said, Lord, I'm laid bare. My bones are breaking. I cannot handle the sorrow. I cannot stand the thing that I have to deal with right now. My finances are in shambles. My relationships are falling apart. Jesus, I cannot do this. Could Jesus then turn to us and have compassion on us? Would he then have opportunity to heal? What if we didn't hide our grief from Jesus? Because I don't think that this widow did. Let's look together in John chapter 4. In the blue Bibles on page 1109. John chapter 4, and, and, and this is a larger passage than the ones that we've been dealing with. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees has heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So let me just explain something real quick. Jesus is a Jew. He's a Hebrew. That's his nationality. He was of the, the, the um, 12 tribes of Jacob. And there's a group of Jews that married Gentiles, so people who aren't Jewish. They married outside of the family, and they became uh, unclean. We call them Samaritans. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. And so as Jesus is going, the way that Jesus would normally travel as a Jew to get to where he's going, he would go in a straight line, get to Samaria, walk around the borders of where the Samaritans live, come back around and keep going. But that's the way every Jew went. When it says here that Jesus had to go through Samaria, that's like, it makes sense. Like, that's the straight line, but no Jew ever did it. 
They didn't have anything to do with these people. They were half-breeds. They were disgusting. And it's a shame that Jesus ever spent any time in their land. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. This is 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, this is noon time. This is high noon. This is not time to do hard labor. She's the only woman out of the well. Everybody goes in the morning, they go in the evening because the sun's not out. We're, we live in Florida, we know. You just stay in the air conditioning at noon, right? A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman, the Samaritan woman, said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that will give him that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You see, she's having a conversation about water and Jesus is not having a conversation about water. You see that? He's saying, he's asking for water to get the conversation started, but he wants to talk about spiritual things. And she's still talking about water. She doesn't know that he's talking about spiritual things. She's trying to get on board here. And he doesn't know it. She's like, look, if you can give me a glass of water and I'll never have to come and draw water again, that's awesome. Because it's hot out here and I don't want to be out here in the middle of the day drawing water. <clears throat> Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, um, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. <clears throat> hey, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. See, she, she has thrown out a red herring. She said, Look, okay, I get it. Like, you, can, you know things about me that you shouldn't know. Like, I, I get it. Like, you must be a prophet. But let's, if you want to talk about church stuff, let's talk about church stuff. Where's the right place to worship? Which church do you go to? Are you Baptist or are you some other kind of thing? She, she wants to have a conversation that isn't related to her. And he says, look, like, you're missing the point. It doesn't matter. God's getting ready to do something and change the whole way that things work, and it, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you trust in what God is doing. And she says, well, I know. We can't actually know. Like, we can't know anything for sure. But when, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. But we can't know. 
Like, it, it, your faith is your faith, my faith is my faith. Like, you do you, I'll do me. When Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I've come to change the system. Then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, uh, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, there's this whole conversation that he has with the disciples. And, the, and he's saying essentially to the disciples, like, you think you understand how I'm working? Like, you're getting ready to inherit a harvest that you did nothing for. I've planted seeds. I've watered the seeds. They're getting ready to grow, and you're going to get the harvest. You're going to get the benefit of sharing, of people accepting me as Messiah. Then you didn't do any of the work. I just want you to know, like, you ain't doing that much. I'm doing something here, and you're getting ready to see it. And it's a really interesting conversation, but not the point of what we're trying to get to. Verse 39. Let's jump that. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. He was just supposed to be traveling through. He stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They started to believe because of her testimony, and then they believed because he spoke. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And after two days he departed for Galilee, going back home, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So the whole town is coming out. The whole town of people who were separated from, from what God was doing. God was doing a special thing in the Jewish nation by raising up a Messiah. And Messiah shows up to the half-breeds and says, hey, yeah, like, you want to join the party too? I know the Jews have all cut you guys out. I know you're isolated. I know that you guys are disgusting. Like, I know that you feel like there's no place for you, but you've got a place in God's family. And this conversation at the well opened up an opportunity for them to expand. We thought that we knew what God was doing, and it's more than that. And who did he use? A woman who was culturally forward, foreign, who's broken by her sin and shame who's out drawing water at high noon so she didn't have to deal with any of the other ladies talking behind her back. She says, we just can't know for sure. And he says, I am the truth. So what if we took our place in Jesus' family? Because it seems to me that Jesus was building a family that was greater than anything the Jews anticipated. And it was for them, and it was from them, and it was through them, but it was more. And what if we took our place in Jesus' family? What if we drank from the well 
that becomes in us a spring of eternal life. Four stories, four women, different contexts, different things that they were facing, different interactions with Jesus, different needs that they were met. What were their names? I've said before that I genuinely believe that the greatest saints who receive the most commendations at the gates of heaven will be people that we don't know their names. And as we've talked about these four women, we've looked at the interactions of Jesus with four women who we do not know their names. And on Mother's Day and for moms, there's times where you can feel like there's nobody in the world who knows my name. And I'm working hard and I'm busting my butt and these kids don't care about me and they don't appreciate me. Nobody knows my name. My story doesn't matter. But how did Jesus interact with these four women? Look at the end of John in John chapter 20. This is a woman whom we do know her name. And we know that her interactions with Jesus changed her life. She was, the only description we have about her early life was that she was oppressed by multiple, many, multiple demons. She was screwed up. And she followed Jesus. Jesus delivered her. And then she watched him die. She saw him buried. In John chapter 20 and verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. A woman who had seen her only hope taken away from her and snuffed out. The person that she had trusted to deliver her, crucified and buried. And in her sorrow and in her frantic mindset, in her grief as she's processing this, she's standing at the feet of Jesus and doesn't even get it. What if Jesus knows us when we're unable to recognize him?
What does he say to her? Mary. Ladies, Jesus knows your name. In the darkest days, when you feel the most alone, when you are the most neglected and unappreciated, Jesus knows your name. And if you're not a mom, it's still true. Because each of us are called to be spiritual parents, to share the life that we receive from God with others. But Jesus knows your name and gives strength for his mission. Whether it's a fever that stopped you from serving, or whether it's an illness that's wiped out all of your energy, whether it's financial ruin or sin and shame of broken relationships, Jesus knows your name and gives strength for his mission. Again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God in His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.